Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for an exciting interview. So excited to bring this one to you today. We are speaking with the one, the only, Mac Horton, one of Australia's favourite swimmers. Everybody loves Mac. I want a t-shirt that says Everybody Loves Mac. Of course, Olympic champion from Rio in the 400 metres. Also a bronze medalist, part of the 4x200 metre relay team in Tokyo, world champion, multiple Commonwealth Games gold medalist. And this is a great chat with Mac, learning a lot about his journey into the sport of swimming, his days going up the ranks, kind of moving through, how close he actually came to the London Olympics. Could have seen him swimming in London as a 16-year-old. And also how he went from being a 1,500-metre swimmer to winning the 400 metres at the Rio Olympics. It's quite an interesting story how that all played a part of it. Uh, A fun chat here. You're going to love every single second of this. So sit back, relax, and listen to our chat with Olympic champion Mac Horton. So excited for our guest today on Off the Podium. A man who needs little introduction. He's an Olympic champion, a world champion, multiple Commonwealth Games medalist, and something that I'm intrigued to talk about, a hummus connoisseur, which uh, I (laughs) think maybe needs to be introduced more when you introduce uh, him on shows like this. Uh, It's a pleasure to welcome to the show, Mac Horton. Mac, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you. I'm instantly regretting putting that in my Instagram profile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, everyone goes for the whole, like, yeah, I won an Olympic gold medal. Sure, that's kind of cool. But, I mean, hummus. Like, talk more about hummus. It's great. (laughs) I love hummus. My favourite, well, I think best um, value for money is Yumi's, the big, like, one-litre tub. I can honestly, I could smash one of those in a day if someone, (laughs) if if I needed to, or if I felt like it and didn't want, like I was okay to feel sick for a bit, I could do it. Yep. Um, But yeah, I I like to delve and adventure different hummuses. Hummuses. Yeah, it it it, it works. Hummus, hummus. Yeah. What is the plural of hummus? Um, kind of going that way. I remember in Canada at Costco they would have like I think it was like a five odd dollar thing, and it was like a yeah one kilo two. It was giant, but it was so yeah. good, and you just yeah. couldn't stop eating it. You were like, oh, I shouldn't probably have another couple of crackers of this, but fuck it, I'm just gonna Hon- go honestly, to town. <laughs> with um, you know, lockdowns in Melbourne and stuff, and you're only allowed picnics. The the go to is the Yumi's hummus tub. You just cut up some carrots some crackers you don't need to you don't need anything else that's a meal <laughs> exactly that's why and i'm sure it works with the training regiment too right like it's not the worst thing you could eat <laughs> no, good, good protein i think I yeah kind of it, it trains <laughs> the secret of olympians you know there you go i remember kieran perkins used to write his name on your milk you should be getting a hummus deal here right mac horton's <laughs> name on some hummus come on <laughs> 
if if they want it on the cap, sure thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> I I found a very intriguing stat about your gold medal win back in Rio that you were the first male Victorian to male Victorian swimmer to win an Olympic gold medal. How is that a thing? One hundred and twenty-four years of Olympic history and no male Victorian swimmer. Had ever won an Olympic gold medal? I mean, if that was a Tasmanian, just bag out my own state. Like, it took us Ariane to win a, an individual gold medal. There's that record broken. But Victoria, this, this should be a thing, right? You should be producing lots of swimmers. Yeah, I don't know how that's a thing. Um, I mean, I think I'm the first Victorian individual male. I don't think it's first. Yeah. So, so there's some relay we've, members. We've had some, some relay point. members right. win it. Um, but yeah, it's pretty crazy uh, that Victoria has—I don't want to say—failed to get medals <laughs> up until this point. But I mean, so many swimmers have come through Victoria, and unfortunately, a lot actually end up, you know, moving into state and stuff, which is, you know, the thing that happens with swimming, uh, just mainly around climate. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool and it's pretty special. Um, Particularly, you know, I mean, Melbourne and Victoria is a, a city that loves their sports so much, um, you know, and we have so many like iconic sporting events. It's it's cool to be. It is a long title, the first individual male swimmer to win an Olympic gold medal, um, but I'll take it. <laughs> you take it. That, that doesn't quite fit on the Instagram. Like, no. I don't know. You can't have that and hummus connoisseur, right? Like, you kind of have to choose one. <laughs> I'm much more about the hummus vibes. Yeah, the, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting you say about the whole the relocation because that's what, you know, as a Tasmanian, we, we kind of got a bit annoyed during the whole uh, Tokyo thing where it was like, it was almost like the way the commentators are wording it, like, oh, she moved from the depths of Tasmania, Ariane Titmus, <laughs> to Queensland. She was being held back by the, the archaic state of Tasmania. But it's it's been great that she's sort of embraced it when she's come back and gone to a school and Launceston. Because that, that was a great stat that we were covering during Tokyo, that Tasmania had never had an individual Olympic gold medalist before. All our gold medalists had in come any sport. From in any sport. So like hockey, uh, rowing, cycling, yeah. they'd all been members of teams, but it was our first ever individual Olympic gold medalist. So Queensland, stop stealing Ariana away. I realise she lives there, but she is a Tasmanian. We know our Tasmanians. She's out. And Queensland are very quick to say, oh, she's a Queenslander. But if yeah. it's, it's kind of, you got to go off state of origin, I think. Exactly. Uh, which they would very quickly go to in rugby or NRL or whatever that sport is. I don't know because I'm from yep. Victoria. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have to play by the same rules. Yeah, exactly. It goes that way. Just quickly on that, actually, I, I feel like one thing I want to talk to you about at the time of recording this, I believe you're a demon supporter. Are you Are you still celebrating? Is it still something that you've calmed down from? Because this means something that you just want to shout to the hills, right? Yes, I am a demon supporter. Um, it was fantastic to see it finally happen. I think it was probably bittersweet being in Melbourne for it, though, when it was over in WA. Um, I mean, so many people have waited so long to, to see them pull it off um, and to be you know, in the midst of a very harsh lockdown <laughs> was kind of cruel. Um, but yeah, I, I, as I haven't been in Melbourne while they've started opening up, but I'm sure everyone will begin to start celebrating now. And I think they're going to do a tour with the Cup and um, yeah. what have you. So it's very exciting for Demons fans out there. 
can you honestly relate? Like, this might sound like a dumb question, but as a sports fan, I think anybody could probably relate to this. Can you compare watching your beloved Demons winning an AFL premiership to winning an Olympic gold medal? Because, I mean, like, seriously, like, win Olympic gold medal, it's a great achievement. But if you've supported a club like that for your entire life, not literally in your lifetime, have they won a premiership and you've seen this? Like, can you compare the two? Well, I mean, Demons winning a... Premiership won in 57 years, and then I don't know how many Olympic gold medals they hand out every Olympics, but there'd be a couple of hundred every four years. So I think Demons winning is rarer and more special. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, look, I'm a Carlton supporter, and like you know, I can complain about lack of success, but I mean, come on, you couldn't do yeah. that until you know, recently. You'd be telling me to shut up 20 years ago. Like, yes. Come on. You yes. Know, when was your last one? Do you know? 95, 95. So what well, the year before you were born, I think. So um, I, yeah. I remember it. I was alive. I remember it. I was eight. So at least yeah. I can say I remember it. So um, yeah. Yeah. Are you like a diehard sporting buff? All sports? Yeah, too much. It's uh, it's a bit sad sometimes just because it, it is a case of the teams you end up going for, you think to yourself, why? Like, like what, why do I torture myself, you know, with that? It's kind of like you just... But I'm loyal, you know, like it's sort yeah. of like Carlton. I mean, I've seen some like Cronulla fans, so I was lucky enough to go to that grand final, see them break the drought. Yeah. Raptors fans saw them win a championship. I don't even know what these sports are, though. Yeah, that's it. You just just nod and smile, <laughs> Mac. It's it's fine. They, they won something every now and then, but uh, well you done know. to them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> go go team. But for yourself, growing up, uh, you know, swimming it's it's such a, a sport that many Australians, well, pretty much all Australians, we we do at some point. We've got to learn to swim. But what was it that kind of took you over that edge to? take the competitive route and kind of pursue this as something that you wanted to go towards. I don't know if there was an edge that was like, this is the competitive route I want to go down. It was just, I love swimming and it's fun. Um, and I, you know, I loved pushing myself. There's, I've like quite fond memories of when I first joined swimming squad and I was maybe 10 or 11, everyone else in the squad was like 15 or 16 <laughs> and I would just rock up and just try and chase them down for like an hour and a half and it was just the best fun um and then i guess it just kind of evolves over the years and it's like how can i continue to push myself and how can i i guess prove that i push myself harder than everyone else and that just happens to be racing um but i you touched on a point that i love about being australian is that everyone I mean, you, you just have to learn to swim because we're surrounded by water and it's such a big part of our culture to go to the beach or lake or the river and, um, you know, get wet, basically. So <laughs> I, I, it's just, I just love that it's like so deeply entrenched in our, in our DNA. Which it's fascinating talking to athletes from other countries who say like some of the winter athletes where it's kind of like, yeah, you know, we grew up near the mountains. So like skiing was part of school and to an Australian, like that's so foreign. It's like, wow, like skiing in school. Whereas it's also way cooler than swimming. Yeah, well, <laughs> on, on many levels on that one. Whereas there are some countries where it's like, I, in Canada, it was like a thing like, oh, you like swimming like that, that age? Like it's sort of like, it's like, well, yeah, we're kind of surrounded by water. So it's sort of, it's, it's often a more of a safety thing, right? Like it's kind of, we need to learn how to swim. Yeah. And skiing would be too, it'd be a safety thing. Like if you're living up on the mountain, you have to know how to navigate the mountains and uh, maybe avalanches and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, you know, it's just cool. one of those things that we grow up doing and um i guess that's why our gdp for olympic swimming or whatever is is <laughs> so good compared to other nations 
were you a very sporty kid with other pursuits? Like, were you dreaming of you know pulling on the uh, the the blue and red for the demons one day? Were you like doing uh, Aussie rules and things like that as well as swimming? It's funny you bring this up because I've been like reflecting on uh, this, particularly around the demons winning the the premiership. Um, I used to hate football at school. Wow, and it's because I was. I mean, I was always swimming and I didn't really do other sports because it took up so much time. Um, and then, you know, at lunchtime, whatever, everyone would be kicking the footy. And I was just, I'm completely uncoordinated because I'm a swimmer. And so I like almost despised it, didn't watch it. I was like, I can't be involved in this. <laughs> and then I was, I, you know, thinking back, I was like, look at all these like sporty people, these sporty athletes. And then it's like, I am the sports person now. It's really weird. <laughs> um, it's like, I just never thought I would be a sports person because I, I wow. hated ball sports, but I just loved swimming. Yeah. Wow. So what would you do instead? Were you kind of like in the library or something instead or like, you know, kind of doing non-sporting activities? Just sitting around and chatting or um, <laughs> eating. I like half of my lunchtime was probably eating because I was so hungry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> or like honestly i just had no energy at school because i was i i mean i was waking up at 4 30 swimming coming straight to school then swimming after school again getting home at like six um and so they were big days and so i mean even if i was coordinated i probably didn't have the capacity to to be participating <laughs> <laughs> keep doing it keep doing it that way were you somebody that would watch the olympics was that kind of something that kind of came to you while you were swimming or were you an olympics fan sort of before you took swimming further way you did no no i definitely watched the olympics um i remember watching it in i have a really clear memory of beijing 2008 i remember um I'd met Grant Hackett a couple of years earlier in Melbourne when the must have been the World Championships were or Com Games were at MSAC or something, and I bumped into him out the front, got a photo with him. As a kid, I didn't really know who he was at that that point in time, um, but he had like this presence around him, and I was like, "Oh, this, he's an athlete. I should get a photo with him. He's famous." Blah blah. Went home, googled him, and I was like, "This is my man. This fifteen hundred <laughs> man is my man." Um, and so I have this like really clear memory of. Beijing 2008 I knew the 1500 was on during the day uh, while I was at school and I was like no one tell me mum recorded it for me I got home sat down in front of the couch like on the floor just like glued to the screen and watched it um, and I mean I have other little snippets of memories of watching the Olympics but that's like the, the clearest one I was like wow this is the Olympics is the real thing it's the, it's the dream because that was I mean, obviously that was the last time we've medaled in the 1500 metres, but that was really almost like the end of this golden era of 1500 metre swimming for Australia, wasn't it? I mean, it's just through Kieran and then through Grant, it was just, that was the event. That was the one, if any Olympics came around, you're like, well, 1500 metres is ours, no one is touching it. I mean, was that kind of a bit of a draw to you that once you Googled it, you knew who this guy was, like you kind of learned a bit of the history and it was like, wow, this is this event that is just amazing. This is Australia's event at the Olympics. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I used to swim 1500 as well, as I'm sure you probably know. Um, yep. And I think, you know, part of the draw to me doing it was understanding that history and understanding that it is Australia's event. Um, but then also just, it's the hardest event there is. <laughs> and it's just cool to, I mean, just the respect and uh, I guess what you have to put your body through and the challenge of, you know, tackling an event that is that big um, is is special. Uh, and if you can do it, it's like, why why wouldn't you? Um, there's a lot of people that, 
potentially, you know, could do it, but shy away from all the work and stuff. I just think, you know, you got to make the most of, you know, if you have the talent and the ability to do it, you got to go after it. And with that sort of talent and ability, is that something that gets discovered while you're kind of going through the ranks that maybe you're, you're going to be more attuned to the distance events rather than the sprinting or does it come down more to a, a personal preference that you want to challenge yourself for the further events rather than just doing the 100 metres? I think, um, I mean, there's an aspect of physical ability but then also, I guess, like mental capacity. I mean, it's pretty hard to find, you know, a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid who's willing to push themselves that hard <laughs> i guess to be a little bit nuts um but for me I, I bounced around quite a bit actually trying to find the event that best suited me i actually started doing backstroke um wow. well i was pretty young though so it was like we'll just toy around with backstroke for a bit and then kind of did freestyle and i mean when you're like that young you can rock up every second weekend and swim a 200 and take 10 seconds off your PB and it's the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but I just progressively got longer and longer and longer. Um, and I, I think, you know, what kept me getting longer and longer was uh, I was getting enjoyment out of those events and I enjoyed, you know, the, the hard work, but also just finding a rhythm. And I guess the, you can, 1500 is almost like meditation because you, if you, if you aren't relaxed in that, you know, a met, uh, in those 15 minutes, then it's going to hurt a lot more. So it's almost like a forced meditation. Um, and you, I guess you learn a bit about yourself through that process as well. That's a great way of looking at it actually, because it's, it was always the event that I love watching growing up. You know, I, I remember a similar thing to you sort of saying, like, I don't want to be spoiled on the event. I think it was Atlanta. I was playing hockey or something along those lines and it was like I knew that was on that morning so I'm like I don't want to be spoiled like I <laughs> yeah. know this is this is going to happen and you kind of you go home and you just you're enthralled by watching obviously what happened there with, with Kieran's win but it's just it's always been the event that has fascinated me because it, it also seems so strategic like in the fact that yes. you've got to no doubt pick and choose when you you swim faster or kind of, you know, okay, I'm going to conserve the energy and everything along those lines too. So it's sort of, it's, it's always that unique aspect of the 1500 meters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, I think part of the draw to Australians and Australian swimming 1500 is that historically we've probably had the most cuts. I mean, you look at the way Kieran uh, Grant swam it, they would just, go out and just hope that they could hang on. Um, and just, it, it's taken many years for the rest of the world to, to catch on, I think, um, and to figure out how to, I guess, back themselves in um, to swimming a 1500 like that. Um, and I mean, you see, I think in uh, Tokyo, even a little bit, there was a bit of maybe complacency at the start of that 1500. As It's very easy to fall into the trap of, waiting for someone else to make a move or just all sitting together and swimming off for the last, you know, hundred or whatever, um, which almost like tunes into what happens in open water. Um, mm. And so, I mean, you know, that history of going out really hard. Um, I don't know if you remember in Rio, Jared Port was in the 10K and he <laughs> went out max from the start. I think he had a three-minute gap on everyone. And it's like it's only something an Australian would do <laughs> to try and push themselves <laughs> that hard um, with the hopes that maybe they'll hang on. Um, and he almost pulled it off. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an element of bravery, I think, 
Yeah, I like that. Was there any ever temptation to look at open water swimming? Kind of like you talk about pushing yourself, like go for the longer deal. 1,500, that's nothing. 10K, why not? No, nah, it's too much of a push. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, you have to be built for it as well as an element of that. And I, I mean, to be good in open water and chop, you probably need like a shorter length of a stroke so that your rate sits a bit higher. Otherwise, you get thrown around too much. Um, and my strokes are a bit too long for that. <laughs> and also, you got to deal with fish, wasn't it? In Tokyo, there yeah. were bloody fish jumping around everyone. And I <laughs> also can't see anything as it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> doesn't quite, quite work that way. navigating. Yeah. <laughs> How does yeah. that actually work with like, are you wearing contacts in the pool or is like, are your glasses kind of like, are your goggles, sorry, prescription goggles? Like, does that, do you need yeah. that? Yes. Speedo make me like prescription goggles so I can see. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Special order. <laughs> is that is that common? Like is that sort of something that a lot of swimmers actually do? Not really. Most people just throw contacts in. Um, but then, I mean, I like wearing glasses. So then I wouldn't wear glasses if I had contacts. You know, I like to take my glasses off, put my goggles on, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's all about keeping up appearances. Okay. Yes. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. You've got to look. You've got to look to maintain, Mac. We all know you with the glasses. All of a sudden, you're like, "Now nah, I'm going to wear the contacts." Well, who's that guy? Oh, you dude, wouldn't recognise me. That's not yeah. Mac Horton. He yeah. wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know who that who that guy is. Uh, sort of as you're progressing through the ranks, you know, junior Pam packs, kind of youth Olympic festival, things along those lines. What, was there a point when you set the goal for Rio? Like this became sort of a realistic goal that you thought, "Okay, well, this is this is possible. I could be at the Olympics in 2016." I think um, in 2012, I swam at the Olympic trials and I, I was in the 1500 then. And I think maybe in the back of my mind, I was like, eh, maybe I could make it. Um, I was 16 at the time and I led 1,450 meters of the 1500 trials. And so wow. I ended up coming, came second. Um, and the selection for, for swimming is you have to be first or second and you have to be under the A qualifying time. So I was second, but not under the A qualifying time. Um, and so I think, you know, that was kind of unexpected. I kind of didn't, I mean, there's always as a kid, there's like in the back of your mind, like, Oh yeah, I want to do this. Maybe I could do this. Um, but I think after that, it's like, okay, genuinely I could have a serious crack at, you know, making an Australian team. Um, and I mean, you know, from that Olympics to the next one's four years, obviously. So it's a realistic time frame to, to make a big push and I guess solidify a spot. And in terms of that focus on the 1500 meters, how did you at, at that point sort of balance it between say the, the 400 or obviously like you've got 800 at world championships. I mean, was, was to you, your event, the 1500 meters and the 400 was, was secondary or kind of, was it just a bit of a balance between the two? Um, I think it was, yeah, 1500 was my event and then 400 was probably secondary, but mainly out of, um, like it, it had to be secondary to help my 1500 get better. And same with the 200. It's like out of necessity, I had to have, you know, a decent 100, 200, 400 to be able to progress the 1500. Um, Cause you need to be able to swim fast easily. Um, and so, I mean, if I could choose, I probably at that time, it probably would have just been 1500, but it was yeah out of necessity that I had to have decent other events. How amazing is that moment when you crack the 15 minutes? Is that like that glorious barrier that as you're going up, you kind of you're getting there and when you do, you're like, wow, okay, I, I've done it. I've cracked the 15. 
<laughs> it is pretty good. I, can't, I actually can't remember when I did it, which sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, I reckon I went 15.01 once and I was like, damn, it's so close. And then maybe my next one would have been like a 14.56 or something. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's like the four minute mile. Um, yeah. But then also there's the realization once you've cracked it that, you know, you get to an Olympics or a world championships and you have to crack it comfortably in the heat and then well and truly crack it again in the final. Um, so it's, I mean, you, you just have to swim under 15 minutes now if you, if you want to get to, uh, to that level. In terms of Commonwealth Games 2014, come away from Glasgow with a gold in the 4x2, a silver in the 1,500 metres. Just fast-forwarding a little bit, then add in the Gold Coast as well. Just what are your sort of experiences like at a Commonwealth Games? Because I always love the Commonwealth Games. The Commonwealth Games, to me, I've always said, is kind of like, this is how America must feel at the Olympics, right? They just win everything. So it's like the Commonwealth Games, Australia, win everything. So, like, this is fantastic. But, I mean, do you remember sort of that that first experience, kind of a big multi-sport event like that and... Does that like also help you then towards when you're experiencing an Olympics a couple of years later? I think for me, I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is like the perfect stepping stone because my first team was the 2014 Commonwealth Games and it was Worlds next year and then Olympics, obviously, after that. Um, and I guess, you know, in terms of the, the swim meet part, they build up in intensity and focus and um, it's it, that progression slowly built me up and got me ready for, for the Olympics. Um, but it's also the, f- the first taste I had of a like village environment. Um, and the village is just wild. Like <laughs> you just can't explain it. It's just like, it's like a theme park for sports people, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it's just, I mean, I remember in Tokyo and it's, the same for all village environments, but Tokyo is the closest one, so it's easy to reflect on. Is I, just sitting outside the dining hall and just watching everyone walk past and say, "Wow, there's just so many incredible human beings here, and they're all trying to achieve the same thing." And it's just, it's just the coolest thing. <laughs> Which is it more relaxed at a Commonwealth Games? Like, is it kind of a bit more yeah. of a you know chill as a as an Australian swimmer, <laughs> particularly? <laughs> um, and I mean. Gold Coast was probably the most fun I've ever had um, because I, I don't want to sound arrogant or <laughs> the, the dolphins destroyed the pool. We tore yeah, it up. You can be uh, arrogant. It's yeah. true. It's, you know? it's, so it's good fun. And in front, I know home crowd. And I mean, that's the first time I've ever had a meet of that scale in front of a home crowd. So it's, um, yeah, it's just super special. One thing too, at any LC Tokyo was a bit, different because you couldn't do it but like at any of these you know olympics commonwealth games going out and watching different sports now i actually have a story about you weirdly enough from the gold coast i worked at the commonwealth games i worked boxing i was the mix zone group leader and at one point sort of we're there and it was in between bouts and somebody kind of was like you know we'd always spot try and spot people in the crowd like we had like the prime minister or president of Nauru in at one point like prince andrew came. Yeah. it was kind of cool anastasia showed up one time and also i was like oh ben like look who's up in the crowd i'm like oh is that mac horton there he is i'm kind of like oh there he is there's, there's mac just chilling there watching the boxing so did you enjoy the boxing and on the commonwealth games <laughs> i enjoyed the boxing Com games is the um I mean, you go to an Olympics and you you have a dream of seeing a lot of sports, but it's pretty hard to pull off. Um, but Kong Games in a home country, you can get away with anything. So I saw boxing, lawn bowls, athletics, like just everything. It was Stick amazing. Them all off. How was lawn Stick bowls? Them. I totally didn't get to the lawn bowls, but I wish I had of. 
we went the night an Australian won gold and like ripped off his top. There was like, oh, yep, of, yep, I can't remember, I remember his that. name though. Yep. But everyone was incredibly rowdy. It was nice. good fun. <laughs> nice, nice. Did you get it while you were out sort of out um, where the boxing was? Did you sneak into the, the table tennis or the squash? Because that was kind of all at the same area. It was kind of a great little venue area. I think we had planned on doing it, but we couldn't. Either there wasn't something on or we couldn't sneak in. I, I can't remember. But I remember thinking we're going to tick off a lot of things and it just didn't work. <laughs> I will say that was a slight benefit of the boxing given that you had a, like a, a morning session and an evening session. It was like a three-hour window in between and kind of, you know, it was, it was all right with some of the accreditation. I'm, like, okay, I'm just going to go watch the table tennis on my lunch yeah. break. Why not? You know, just... <laughs> so was this a volunteer role? Were you no, no. I no. was an actual employee of, of Goldock. So, uh, yeah. proud employee, Mac. It was. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was. It was a lot of fun. I think I, when I'm done swimming, I just want to be involved any way I can around the yeah. village, doing, I don't know, anything. Recommend just so I can it. watch the sport and be a part of it because, yeah. I mean, I've lived one side and I know how amazing, you know, those sorts of events can be. So. Which it's, cool. it's actually really fascinating because like I've spent the majority of my time <laughs> as a journalist or a radio host. So this is kind of the first time where. I'm, you know, as, as you know, you go through the mix zone and kind of you're being fair to talk to the journalist. So I'm that guy who's like getting you off the pool deck going like, hey, here's the journalist to speak to. So it was, yeah. it was kind of strange dealing with journalists and like going like, I'm usually one of you and realizing that some of them can be dicks. I'm like, okay, <laughs> am I that way? Uh, but then it's also like the thing I found fascinating because I didn't know anything about boxing. I'd never really experienced it. But like meeting the athletes and kind of seeing that and just – as with any sport, the pure passion and emotion. I mean, I nearly got decapitated, I think, by a Samoan boxer who threw his water bottle basically directly at my head because he'd lost. And then there was a, another athlete, I can't remember where he was from, but he was so pissed off that he'd lost. And one of our volunteers, you know, because they were doing it for the, the games media website, was just kind of like, oh, like, like, how do you feel? Like, are you obviously disappointed? It's bullshit! It's fucking yeah. bullshit! I'm so fucking angry! I'm fucking bullshit! And this poor yeah. dude, okay. Thanks for your time. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think, um, I mean, we're, we're quite lucky in Australia that, you know, if, if we don't swim well or perform well, we're probably going to be fine and live a, a fairly comfortable life. But for a lot of people, you know, when they come to a Commonwealth Games or Olympics, it's like their families' lives and fu- futures depend on them performing. So the, yeah. the passion and the emotion is there. Yeah. Um, and I guess desperation in, in some aspects as well. Yeah, it, it is. And it's also like the aspect of like, say, a Commonwealth Games too, where, again, all jokes aside, Australia, we do very well. Whereas like some of these smaller countries where this is almost like their Olympics, right? Like, you know, yeah. they're maybe never going to achieve an Olympic spot. So this is as high as they can go. So it's kind of that that element of pride that some of these smaller nations have by getting to a Commonwealth Games. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's very, very interesting. What was that moment like at the trials before Rio to make it sort of, you, you mentioned sort of, London get so close but then all of a sudden boom you're going into it. I mean, you're obviously having a very good year in 2016 you had a good year in 2015 with the world champs as well but uh, you know do you remember that sort of moment that the first time you knew you were officially then going to be going to the Olympics I think just sheer relief um, 2015 we, we had world championships in Kazan Russia and I picked up a parasite I'd lost like five kilos in three days I was just crook as um, I swam not, I don't think I made the, the final in the 400 or the 1500. I'd made it in the 800. And I think I somehow got to a bronze medal. I'm not sure how. Um, anyway, I, it took me a couple of months to recover um, antibiotics, whatever. And, you know, I was coming in and 
maybe I'd only get through 3K a session just because my body couldn't handle it. Um, and so that like last push towards Rio trials was big. It was, um, yeah, it took a lot. Um, and it's like, am I going to be ready? And, you know, so once I touched that wall in the 400 and I was, I had the position, it's just relief. And then the beauty of the 400 at trials and most events is it's on the first night. Um, and that is a beautiful thing because <laughs> you can relax for the rest of the week you know um, and <laughs> just enjoy it, you know, try and pick up a spot in the 200 or another event. Um, and just support everyone else as well um, who's going through. You know, I mean, I think trials is more stressful than the Olympics. Um, there's more pressure. In some events, it's probably harder to make a final um, at our trials than the Olympics as well. So, yeah, once once you tick it off, it's good. <laughs> Which at that point too, I mean, going into Rio, you were the fastest 400 meter swimmer in the world. I mean, was that kind of was there a switch? Like, were you all of a sudden focusing more on the 400, or was it just things kind of fell into line where all of a sudden you go, hang on a minute, why am I so good at the four? I want to be concentrated on the 1500, but I'm doing all right in the 400 as well. I think, um, you know, being sick in Russia, I probably didn't get as much like endurance work in. Um, and so we slowly kind of realized that maybe we wouldn't be ready for the 1500 and kind of shifted our pace work and stuff to 400. Um, and I think I was like kind of partly in denial. I still, I was still going to the Olympics thinking, you know, the 1500 is my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, and then, you know, as we got closer and closer, I got more and more confident in the 400. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I, it's difficult when you have an event at the start and the end of the week. Um, particularly if you're split on probably what the priority is because tapers are so finely tuned and that's eight days difference and a lot can happen in eight days. Anyway, we set up the taper for the 400. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the belief just grew and grew. Um, and then, you know, it's almost getting into that mindset of you, you can't look forward or can't look towards the end of the week. It's just get through this and then you can think about whatever comes after that. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of happened naturally, I think. Yeah. Is yeah. the answer to your question. I saw it. <laughs> I just, yeah, just, it there. I mean, winning Olympic gold, yeah, it just happened naturally. Yeah, gold medal. Yeah, just there it is because you had to kind of all float in That's together. That's not but- what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, when you go into an event like that, knowing that you are the fastest in the world at that point, does it add pressure that you've kind of maybe got to live up to the fact that, that you are the fastest in the world at that point? Or do you kind of take it more as a, you know, I can take this on board and go, well, people have to catch me because I am the best in this one and, you know, try and catch me if you can. Neither. I don't really think about it, to be honest, um, which is a very boring answer, I know. But I think, I, I don't know how it happened, but I still felt like I was an underdog going into Rio and probably still like betrayed as an underdog going into Rio because there were a lot of people that had still some faster than I. I was just the fastest that year. Um, and so I got the confidence of being the fastest that year, but then also, I guess, the ability to lay low with, um, you know, my ranking against people's historical times. Which is also to the history that Australia has in the event. It's interesting you sort of talking about, you know, watching the Olympics, Beijing. I mean, I don't know if you sort of remember 
Athens and kind of seeing, you know, Thorpe and Hackett go one, two, or if you obviously, what about four around Sydney? So probably, uh, you know, don't remember all that sort of stuff. But I mean, outside of the 1500 meters around about that time, you know, it was kind of an event that we, we have a storied history in it as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting. That is an event that Australians, we always have it. I mean, even in Tokyo, just gone, like what, first night, boom, where we're straight away delving into the yeah. history of kind of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think, the, you know, coming from the 1500 and having an understanding of that history helped me to have an understanding, I guess, appreciation of the 400 history as well. Um, in saying this, though, this history in every event is just like successful history in, you know, the men's 400 and 1500. Um, and, I mean, partly, <laughs> I still think we should have that world record in the 400, Australia. Um, so we had it taken off. <laughs> Point oh one. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, whole other conversation, right? Uh, <laughs> won't won't happen to get into that. But I, I watched the race before this this interview. Just kind of it'd been a while since I'd watched it. Um, yeah, and I mean, what was the way you said that is like you know I, I watch it you know every couple of weeks. Yeah, I do. Like it's literally it's just it's just like what's it uh, Tuesday three o'clock? Haven't watched Max Gold in a while. Uh, you know, I just kind of put it on. There it is. That that in Atlanta '96. I just all I do in my life is watch your gold yeah. and, and Kieran's gold from Atlanta. That's Seriously. a privilege. Thank you. That, that, that's it. It's, it keeps me. It keeps me going, Max. Yeah. It, it keeps me fueled up. But what what is the strategy going into a final? Do you relate to what you do in the heat, or kind of turn it up? What What's your coach kind of saying to you at that point? And and was everything executed perfectly? I mean, you win the gold. I'm guessing it was kind of executed perfectly. But did it all kind of fit into what the strategy was going into the race? I think um, you know when you think about the Olympics, a lot of people think it's like a high performance environment but it's actually not and it's it's not about you know swimming the fastest time ever it's about just racing and being the first one to the wall because realistically the conditions of the olympics aren't ideal and so everyone's just dealing with the same thing and doing the best that they can um and so i guess we had a, a strategy based off um racing and i guess like an internal feel of where my body's at um and it's a race strategy we practiced over and over and over again, just like at local small meets, state championships, what have you, just the way I paced um, each hundred was something I was, was really familiar with so that when I did get there, I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to, you know, consciously change my strategy. I think a lot of people get to an Olympics and they're like, I see what so-and-so is doing from another country. That's a bit funky. I need to do something you know, different or special to try and level up, but you actually just have to stick to the plan um, that you've been, you know, practicing for the last four years um, because that's what you know best and that's what you know how to execute. And that's, you, you don't have to tap into anything extra to execute a plan that you've been uh, rehearsing. So uh, for us, it was just, yeah, continuing to do the same thing, just a little bit faster. In that last 50, when you sort of, you go into that wall, you touch to it, the gold, I mean, how aware are you of, of sun next to you? Like, are, are you able to see, like, do you know as soon as you touch that you've won the gold or is it literally that moment? Cause it's so close. You, you look up at the scoreboard and then, and then realize that you've got the gold. Um, I aware, but also not aware if that makes sense. I think, uh, I was aware of how close it was, particularly for the last hundred. Um, and a big aspect of us, our strategy was improving my turns a lot. Um, and so that last turn was the fastest turn I've ever done. I think it's the fastest turn out of that whole field and maybe the fastest turn 
anyone's ever done in a 400. I'm not Take sure it, say it. it. Put it on your, so, put on your Instagram profile. There maybe. It is. Next to not, I don't have a lot of confidence in that quote, though. Um, so, uh, what was the question? Was I aware? Yeah, were you aware? Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's there's also like an aspect of just sheer pain on that last 50. I like probably almost blacked out. The world kind of goes dark. My eyes are just closed. Um, but on a finish, I think as a swimmer, you practice finishes so much that you are actually aware of where you place. I mean, I it's the worst finish I've ever done and I probably could have gone a fair bit faster if I didn't look. But as I touch, I looked across to see <laughs> if I got it. Um, and so I, I knew I had it in that moment, but then you never actually know until you've seen the scoreboard. But then, of course, I, I couldn't see the scoreboard properly. So I had to wait till Dave McKeon, who was in the race in the AFL Australian, came over. Um, and he's like, you did it, you did it, just going nuts. <laughs> I was wondering um, what he was saying to you because I'm watching the footage, like kind of like, you know, what is being few, said at that moment. A few bad words in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was the gist. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, you've you done that. But like when you realise, like it's the question you no doubt get asked all the time, like what's that feeling like when you touch the wall, you're an Olympic champion. But within this time limit that it's been now, the time recording this has been more than five years. Like, is it something that you compute more and more that the time goes on? Maybe if you watch the race a few more times and kind of see it, that it, it means something differently now reflecting on, okay, well, I am an Olympic champion. I honestly never think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly watch it too much, Matt. Yeah. Like I'm doing all the thinking for you. <laughs> uh, when I, I, when I do try and think about it, I wish I remembered more from the whole experience. Um, I think, you know, just in like an Olympic week, there's so much focus. Um, you can't really take much in and even like touching winning, it's just overwhelming. Like normal humans can't compute that. I don't think. Um, and so, it, yeah, I wish I had clearer and crisper memories of the whole thing. And the main things I remember Dave coming over to me and also the step up onto the podium because I, I remember putting my hand on my chest and feeling the weight of the metal clank on my uh, like sternum and then sticking my arm up. And then I also remember looking to my left and like my gym coach and Biomech were in stand going nuts. And they're just like the three crispest mem crisp memories I have. Um, but yeah, I wish there was more. My, my favourite moment is when you're being interviewed pool, de pool deck. Basically, the first thing you turn around and say is, oh, I didn't beat my personal best. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you just won an Olympic gold medal. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't beat my PB. Oh, well. I don't remember that. <laughs> you're just like, you're so disappointed in your time. It's like, oh, don't want, yeah. That's how it on. is, though. That's the Olympics. It's just racing. It's like, <laughs> it's not about PBs. But, yeah, you always want more. There's always, always, always want more, which I, that was our, when we started this show, we started back in Rio. So basically we do daily coverage during the Olympics and that was our very first daily coverage. And I remember coming on that night and being like, stop the Olympics, Australia, we've won the Olympics. Cause obviously with the girls winning the gold that day, we were on top of the medal tally after day yeah. one of Rio. And look, I don't know my history that much to know if Australia's ever topped the medal tally at one point, but there it was Rio, you helped achieve that. So like, could, could you have done something to cancel the Olympics for us on that day, Mac? I mean, you, you'd helped us get to the top of the medal tally. So Olympics over. I don't mind disrupting a bit, so I could have tried, um, but I don't think it would have gone down very well. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not quite, not quite. Just with the 1500 though, ultimately, how do you reflect on that? Because, I mean, people would obviously no doubt look and go, well, you've had a successful meet, you're an Olympic champion, you've won the 400 metres, but as you're saying, your event was still the 1500 metres. 
not to meddle in that, like, do you reflect on that and actually leave disappointed because your pet event, you weren't able to achieve maybe what you set out to achieve? There's this excellent quote, you're only as good as your last race. And so <laughs> I remember leaving the Olympics, coming fifth. That's how I remember it. Wow. Um, but, I mean, in hindsight, the it's really just experience. And I think this, for me, put into perspective how great Phelps is. Like the emotional roller coaster and the physical toll just winning one Olympic gold medal takes on you um, and everything that comes with it. It's exhausting. Um, and so, I mean, not that I was exhausted when I got to the 1500, but there's looking back, there's probably things that I, I've learned that I you know, could manage a bit better going forward. Um, but also, I, re- I remember swimming the heat and it was, you know, one of the easiest 1500s of my life. And then it's just like, you know, that deeper fatigue the next day. I, you know, one of those races where you dive in, you know, you're cooked and you just got to hang on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, and that was probably one of my last decent 1500s or shots at a decent 1500 as well. Um, so it's a bit sad, but no, what can you do? <laughs> Is it a, a case of someone like Phelps in the sport? Obviously that was his last Olympics, but do you look back and, and think like, damn, I wish he swam the 1500 or, or the 400 so I could have gone like toe-to-toe in like my pet events or is it a case of, well, thank God, like he stopped winning the golds, Michael. Like, you know, I, I want to <laughs> have a chance. No, you, I think you always want to um, go toe-to-toe with the best. Um, and I think, yeah, it would have been cool to get, you know, Phelps in his peak swimming a 400. That would be unreal. Um, but, yeah, there'll be someone else. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there will be, right? Plenty plenty to, to go with that. Yeah. One thing I always love to learn from any Australian gold medalist on this show, you come home, you're on a stamp. Do you remember the first time you, you see your stamp and uh, do you keep them? Like, do you just want to constantly have a bunch of Mac Horton stamps ready to go and send a bunch of letters? I have a pile somewhere. I don't know where they are. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those things you want to use but you also want to save and you just never yep. end up using um, I think my mum bought a heap and like obviously the grandparents and stuff um, and then <laughs> friends would start buying them and giving them to me and yeah it's hilarious it's very cool it, it's and then must I, be- I, I bought um, Zach Stubletty Cook who won the 200 breast in Tokyo I bought a sheet of his stamps so I'll, <laughs> I'll hold on to them and probably never use them as well uh, <laughs> just send him a letter with just his entire like cover like just enough for the address right like in the little thing but then I a need whole envelope because I want yeah. a perfect sheet so. yeah yeah exactly but is that weird though if you receive a letter and your face is on it like oh bloody Telstra bill. oh wait there I am uh, <laughs> I think I probably did but I Again, it's. I wish I had clearer memories of all these things, um, <laughs> but I think just lack of sleep and lots of early mornings has actually destroyed my memory. So unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which then, sort of, in between Rio, then then through to Tokyo, how how detrimental was that break? The 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 pandemic year ultimately i mean we obviously know what happened sort of with tokyo missing out in the 400 to defend your title but was was that down to something that could have like if we had have gone normally in 2020 would that have been different do you feel i was feeling pretty good in 2020 but i <laughs> i don't I, i'm not about blaming things um i think i mean when you for me i think a good training block is good weeks not just good days 
Um, it's much harder to piece together a, a complete week. Um, and weeks are designed so that you, I guess, tick everything off that you need to work on across that week. Um, and I, I mean, leading up to trials, I had to flee lockdowns three times. And I was, I had to go to Queensland for two weeks to get into Adelaide to go into trials. But before that, we'd had training camps, we had to leave early, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just had too many weeks that we interrupted, you know, isolate for three days this week, try and catch up sessions the next week. Um, and so eventually it does start to add up a little bit, um, unfortunately, but I mean, what can you do? Yeah. Which on the flip side of what you're talking about before, when you qualify for Rio first event done, you know, you're there. How then yeah. does that on the opposite side of things, when you've, you've missed out, there's obviously that media attention around like, Oh, you know, Mac Horton, he's not going in the 400 to try and then back that up to get that slot to which you ultimately do get for the, the four by two. It's awful. Um, <laughs> the the other hard thing was because of lockdown in Melbourne, I, my mum had booked a house for like my family, my girlfriend, we we're all going to stay there and whatever. But it just ended up being me and only me because no one could come oh. across. Um, and so, I mean, that was a pretty grim night after that 400 just sitting <laughs> on the line wow. in this big house. Um, and I think, I mean... I, I obviously a lot of people say they don't get scared or have fear or anything, but like for the first time in my life, I was like, geez, what do I do now? Um, like didn't actually know what was going to happen next. Um, and I think I probably only slept like two hours or so that night as well. Um, just like, okay, what's, do I get a job now or what happens? Um, and then I think as slowly I started to shift my mindset, but it, it took a long time. Um, and it was like, okay, I, I can still swim fast, but I still not fast enough in the 400. Um, and I have the experience in the Olympics behind me. I'm going to get on this relay team and just help get the guys the best result they can, try and put them in a position where they're comfortable and swimming fast. Um, and, you know, that's going to be my job, these Olympics. It's going to, it's the shift from, you know, Rio, what do I need to do to be the best that I can be to Tokyo, which was how can I, you know, help everyone get through this week and, and how can we get the best team going forward? As much as it obviously was disappointing not to be in the event in, in Tokyo, what was it like being able to be in the stands and, and cheering on, you know, Jack obviously going on to, to get a silver very narrowly, nearly sort of defended the 400 before, for Australia? It was, I mean, it's hard to watch, obviously, because um, I would have loved to have been in there, but incredibly happy for Jack as well. We're very good friends. Um, and he, I think he is the hardest worker I've ever seen. He's been slogging for so many years. Um, and so stoked he got the silver, um, but also would, he, he would have loved that gold. Um, and we're actually in an apartment together and it was like this, yes, yes, yes. But then also he obviously wanted more, which is just what comes with being an athlete. Um, yeah, it's great to be there and be able to support him and I guess live, you know, that experience with him and everyone else in the team. Which at the end of the day, though, like obviously you you want, if you're not going to win a gold, you want a teammate to win a gold medal. But then ultimately, if you're going to lose, you don't want to lose to like an American or a Brit and all that sort of stuff. But to lose to Tunisia, I mean, we were very excited on the show to, to celebrate Ahmed's gold. Like, I mean, I think we gave him our athlete of the day on that day. It's like, great, Tunisia, like this is, this is fantastic. I mean, is there a weird sense of joy seeing someone from a country like Tunisia, you know, Ahmed winning a gold medal and the celebrations that he obviously had after that gold? 
It's pretty cool. Um, he played the, I guess, the like pure underdog game. He literally came out of nowhere, um, which which is the way to do it. Yeah, which it, it's fantastic, sort of, you know, to see kind of that sort of stuff. I, I, look, I don't, I'm not here to dwell on all the on any negatives and all that kind of stuff, Mac. But like, can you take the experience from Tokyo, everything that kind of led up to it now, and then weirdly use it as a positive to spur you on towards Paris? Like, can you can you take the negatives and go, okay, well, I, I don't ever want to feel this crap again. So this is gonna, you know, bring me back into where I was back towards Rio and kind of push me towards the third Olympics. Definitely, I'm a. Uh... I've never been so motivated or hungry before. Um, I think, you know, I, that was there after trials. I was like, oh, we're going again. I think, you know, leading up to Tokyo is like, I'll do what I want to achieve here. And then, you know, maybe the, the focus of my life will shift or whatever. Um, but as soon as I can tick that box, it's like, all right, something's still it. We're still going. Uh, <laughs> we haven't got all of it out and we need to do it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> keep on pushing That's, forward. Yeah, yeah. Which also then too, I mean, you'll be what twenty eight come Paris. Yeah. So I'm thinking thirty two LA, thirty six Brisbane. Uh, you know, I mean, is does that legitimately give you like pause the thought? <laughs> like, could I push the body that far to end my career at a home Olympics? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> I've got too many other things I want to do in life, um, and I mean, I love swimming. But I also love swimming fast, and I just can't imagine it's going to feel that great at 36. Um, but I do. I want to be involved in every Olympics going forward somehow, somewhere, even if it's just going to watch. Um, I mean, once you've caught that bug and experienced it, it's pretty hard to um, step away from it. Mick Zone, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Mac, like, I mean, you've been so many ends of these, you know, stupid journalists asking you stupid questions, right? Like, you can be the one on the other side of it now. Like, stop asking me, but, like, I've answered that one. I got, I got splashed. Get over it. I won a gold medal. Come on. Move on. I thought bus driver, actually, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how would that be? Like, you know, welcome with us. Oh, Mac Horton, how you doing? Didn't recognize you without your glasses, but hey. Yeah. Can't wait, you know, <laughs> no glasses driving the, the bus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, hang on a minute. Yeah, shouldn't you be wearing those glasses? I might not be getting on this bus anymore. I kind of, I don't feel safe with that. You've just, I mean, you're moving to the Gold Coast now, I believe, sort of, is that uh, to help you out sort of on that progression towards Paris? Kind of like what's brought about that move? Um, I, I've been with Craig, who was my coach up until now for 13, 14 years. I, I started with him when I was 11. Um, and so I've just been, you know, not doing the same thing, but in the same program for, you know, as long as I've known, it's all I've known. Um, and I mean, realistically, I may only have three years left. So it's like, I, I may as well try something new, something different and, see what happens um so i guess it's a part of refocusing uh for paris but it's also just like i guess answering that question of you know what if i try this as well um the the cliche leaving no stone unturned keep pushing it that way and then so in the meantime you know like commonwealth games birmingham you you know world champs obviously as well big year in 2022 so kind of that's just where the, the focus is at right now yeah um Come games and worlds next year. Worlds is quite early and trials are quite early. They haven't left much time for everyone to have a break after Tokyo, which seems a bit cruel. Um, 
So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how we're tracking. And I think, you know, across the board, there's going to be big opportunities for people to um, step up and secure a position on the team because of that tight turnaround. There, there'll be people that won't be ready, but there'll also be, you know, after Olympics, it's natural for, for people to step aside as well. Um, and then Com Games Worlds next year, I think it's, wait, sorry, in two years. My years are very confused with COVID. <laughs> um, and then we're there. So, I mean, realistically, it's only two and a half years once you get into yeah. it. That's crazy. I mean, you know, here we are, time of recording this, you know, months away from another Olympics in the winters. So it's kind of, you know, yeah. kind of that way. Have you thought about switching folk? Like, I mean, you know, we see it a lot. We say, you know, Yana Pittman did it, obviously, hurdles to bobsled. I mean, I don't know where you can relate the swimming to any sort of winter sports, but I mean, you know, there's an opportunity uh, wanting to go to all these Olympics. You could switch focus to curling or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe not winter, but I've been getting into a. Uh... In my like off season, I've been getting into ocean kayaking, so maybe like hey. K one or K two or something. Yeah, or and that, that's I, a sport where you can go deep into your thirties. I mean, you know, Ken Wallace. I mean, how old was yeah. he? Like still going? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, and it's transferable: shoulder strength, rotation, yep. big stretcher. Yeah, um, and I've always loved sailing as well, so maybe sailing. Um, right, but I think. I mean, you need you need to start sailing very early and have an unbelievable amount of natural talent to to make it. Um, yeah, so probably keep on not. pushing, Max. Yeah. You, never, you never know. You, stranger things have happened, right? Like you, you, yeah. you, you never know. Now we close out with a series of sort of get to know you questions. I'll get to in just a second. But one thing I wanted to touch on: you're talking about things to do post swimming. Your website is filled with amazing photos, which people can thank buy. You. I yes, like thank this. Thank you for the plug. Yes. Well, tell us about this sort of, has this always just been a hobby? Is this something you've always wanted to do? I mean, tell us about your photography. Um, I've just always loved taking photos. Uh, I mean, I'm, when I was like maybe 13, 14, I'd just ride my bike a lot with my mates and we'd just go nuts around the neighbourhood and I'd always have a camera just taking photos, which sounds lame now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, but that's <laughs> where the, the passion We won't judge. Start. It's fine. Just like capturing... I mean, memories with friends and I guess part of being able to travel and swim and go to these events is I, I enjoy like capturing the sort of behind the scenes stuff that people don't ordinarily get to see. Um, all the prints I think I've got on there are just like cliche travel shots because that's what people like to put on their wall. Um but if I'm going to keep plugging it, there's a good photo of all the medals on the. the I was going table. to say that that's my favorite. I'm looking at that right now, sort of like black and white, and sort of there's, there's wheat bix there as well, and like water bottles, and just like it's looking great. And that's honestly what our table and our our apartment looked like all week, just like breakfast cereal and tuna <laughs> bowls and medals, like random Olympic medals mixed with that's the Olympics. Yeah. yeah, it's Standard, just like the perfect Olympic summary photo. of the Olympics. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just always been a fun little thing. Um, and, I mean, if I can sell a few prints, it's a nice extra revenue stream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, bargain, five bucks. I might have to pick up a few here, Matt. That's like, very we, small for $5. Yeah, will, will you, will you sign it? Will you sign it for me if I buy one? Yeah, but it ships to you, so you have to bring it to me and then I'll right, sign okay, it. Right, okay, okay. So there's like that sort of, you know, that extra <laughs> element. All right, okay. Make me do all the work. I see how it is. I just, actually, on that too, I, I, I forgot to ask my standard question in terms of our, our medalist guest. What, what what do you do with the medal? Like, is it on display? Is it kind of somewhere safe? Like, wh where is the, the Rio gold? It's in Melbourne somewhere. Um, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> in Burke Street. There it is. It's on the ground. There it is. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, mum and dad have it. And it's in a hardy spot. 
Nice. Is it something that, like, legitimately when you, you do retire, reflect, you know, house, kids, wife, all that sort of stuff, that you, you might put it up on display, something like that? Oh, I don't think so. No. <laughs> a lot of people just I, put it in the sock drawer, Matt. Like, oh, there it is. You know, get my, get yeah, my pair. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for that. I, it's not for me, really. I think <laughs> it's uh, – you can get quite philosophical about it, but I think the gold medal just represents, like, the journey and the process and everyone that was involved. And it's not actually for me. It's for the people to enjoy and to share and – I mean, you should you should see it. It's like banged and scratched, and the ribbons like shredding. Because I, I honestly go to school groups and just like throw it at the kids. And like, there yeah, you go. <laughs> I saw a post on on Twitter. I, I can't remember which Olympian it was. They'd, they'd won a medal in Tokyo, and they were like, "Oh, I've dropped it," you know, shit. And then like somebody else has commented, like, "Well, if there's no scuff marks or you know the ribbon's not worn, like you're not doing it right." Like that's yeah. kind of the the point of an Olympic medal to show it off. Exactly. It's not for you. It's for everyone to enjoy, try on, touch, scratch with their rings and their watches and yep. Just <laughs> pass go it around. To town. Yeah, you exactly. can't do that in COVID, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All these Tokyo Olympics have these pristine medals. And it's like, what are you yeah, doing with they these? Actually kind of I can't imagine Emma McKeon's kind of like all these photos she's doing around her neck, kind of banging around, clanging around. It's kind of like well, you know, she they've got probably, a few chips on it. She can take one out for show and tell and then leave everyone else in yeah. pristine condition. She's she can just share them. Her. I think yeah. she can just give them around. Like, oh, you can have one. You can have one. You have three. You have seven. Yeah. Like, I've got plenty to keep me busy. Like, all right. Like, sure. Let's just uh, yeah. do, it, do it that way. Uh, as I said, we close out with a series of fun get to know you questions. Now, these are based on a Team Canada questionnaire they gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. I always like to choose a, an athlete from the same sport. And thankfully, Canada asked some questions to some swimmers. Now, uh, Santo Condorelli. See swimmer that you came up against at all uh, in any of your races, Canadian? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too familiar, sadly, with Santo. So, uh, it sounds sure. like a sprinter's name, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. One of those sprinters. Ugh, yeah. Like, come on. Jesus. Work harder at your swimming, Santo. Like, you know, anyone can swim 100 <laughs> metres. Try a 15. All right. These are not my meditate. Words. These are not my words. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, Tar- what are you doing, Kyle? Like, stop being, you know, like, no, try no, 1,500. No, no, no. Let's not start this. <laughs> Do you actually, is, is there a thing where you can say to Kyle, like, oh, good on you. You win it. You win a gold. Like, let, let's middle ground it, like, halfway between the 150, 750 metres. Who's better? <laughs> Definitely not. He's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this. It's like the Michael Johnson, Donovan Bailey thing they did years ago. Who's the <laughs> fastest man? You know, let's meet in the middle, you know. Kind well, 200 is probably as close as it gets. Yeah. Okay. That, 400, 100, yeah. There, there, so there's it does a balance happen. there. <laughs> now, uh, so these are just random questions. So, as always, we give you the option. There is a drawing element. If, you, if you're that bored currently in quarantine, Mac, you can draw a picture of yourself if you really want to. Send it into us and we'll put it on social media. I mean, it's entirely up to you potentially okay yeah potentially you might get that bored uh we'll start off with uh the best candy in the world is Uh, i'm actually i'm a shocker for sweets because i earn so much energy and then if i go to the supermarket hungry i'll just buy a bag of something and i can smash it easily and not feel ill <laughs> my go-to is probably like peanut m&ms oh yes because i try and convince myself that the peanuts are kind of healthy yeah <laughs> well that, that's a, that's good it's like eating a cherry ripe right you're eating fruit yeah, exactly yeah so yeah. you know kind of i like that that kind of yeah. that works that way um your favorite sandwich is oh 
Have you you've been to Melbourne a bit? I have. Yes. Are you familiar with Hector's Deli? I am not familiar with Hector's Deli. It's a Deli. place in Richmond. All they do is toasted sandwiches, and they do a like a Reuben toasted sandwich. Oh, okay. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I, I will say like Melbourne, my favorite place in Australia, and I I need to need to go there next time. Now that the borders are opening up, I yes. Can go there. Hector's, Hector's Deli is the place okay. to go. I'll mark it down. Your favorite sports movie is. Uh, <clears throat> I actually don't know. Is there a pass <laughs> sports movie? Okay, I'll pass. say. Uh, Uh, now kind of rush, rush. Oh yes, yes, hundred yeah. percent. Love yeah. it. Are you are you an F one fan or is it just? I am an F one fan. Oh, yeah. Okay, don't get me started on this. This is a whole other conversation. <laughs> I mean, standard Ricardo fan or like you know, are you kind of into any other drivers or teams? Ricardo's a favourite, um, and probably Landers. So I guess McLaren. I'm a big fan. Of, um, but I don't really. I'm not like I go for that team religiously. Or I go for that driver religiously. It's just like I enjoy. The different personalities and just observing. So, how many how many Grand Prix? Like, did you constant at the at Albert Park every year? Uh, well, I live up the road, so I hear it every year, and I've <laughs> been to watch a couple of times. It clashes with training a lot, unfortunately. Uh, well, that, or, the pool's right next door, though, isn't it? Like, it so is. You can it be, is. Yeah. And so we swim, and we'll see the Formula One cars go past. Like while I'm swimming, I can see it all. Which I love uh, that actually when you're walking, because that's like turn three, and I always remember you see the people doing the laps, and you got the people sneaking up into that outdoor stand, just sitting there watching the that's cars. That's me. Yeah, <laughs> you're there. Uh, all right, well, there you yeah. go. I've seen you twice in person, Mac. That, yeah, that, that's <laughs> the whole time. There's Mac Horton up there watching the cars. <laughs> but it also always clashes with like a New South Wales state championships or something. We're uh, always somewhere, else, and I get so filthy because I just yeah. want to be there watching just it. Want to go there? Wow. Which I mean, it's in April next year, so I mean, I yes. don't know if that helps or hinders no, the, the i think program. trials are around april so it's probably oh. a no-go yeah. god damn it we had um ash werner bob sledder on and she's a big ricardo fan and we were talking about how like she's got a very high energy like daniel ricardo so she was like i'd yeah. love to get like a swap going on with get danny rick in a bob sled and, and you know yeah. get me in a, in a mclaren f1 car like as a gold medalist, can you pull some strings and be like, hey, like Daniel, like, we'll get you in the pool while you're here in Albert Park and you know, <laughs> shove me in a McLaren. <laughs> I don't think gold medals have that much pull in the Formula One world. I, whenever you, <laughs> when you watch a Formula One race, it always blows my mind the celebrities that like go up to the drivers and they're like, wow, you are amazing. Like they're just another level. It, yep. It's insane. Yep. The fame it's, it's, and yeah. It's also funny when you see the awkward ones. I don't know if you remember that famous one from the Australian Grand Prix when Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Sebastian Vettel met Nicole Kidman. And basically Nicole Kidman's like, hello, and Kimi's just like, yep, and he just turned away like he didn't give a shit. Well, they'd meet so many people and yep. Kimi is notorious for not caring. So oh, yeah. He, he would not give two it. shits. Nicole yeah. Kidman, who? Like, if, you, yeah. if you ever want to read a, a great F1 autobiography, Kimi Raikkonen's autobiography is brilliant. Okay, uh, I'll read it here because I'm looking for things to do. Do it. And one of the best, like they've got a whole section on Kimi Raikkonen quotes. And one of my favorite is a journalist asked him, they're like, oh, Lewis Hamilton has said that Formula One is better than sex. What would you say to that? And Kimi's like, maybe he's never had the sex. <laughs> so I was like, yep, all right. Good on you, Kimi. Didn't he, he, I think he, did he release a poetry book of haiku or something? Oh, I think he legit? did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. I remember that. Yes. Oh. Kimmy. And his Instagram is weirdly entertaining. Like he literally posts like a picture of him and his son and it would just be like fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like, oh, yeah. it's so Kimmy. <laughs> it's just, it's Kimmy's brilliant. Love it's iconic. Him. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you could have lunch, I mean, this could be your answer. I don't know. If you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? <laughs> no, Roger Federer. Roger uh, Federer. Jeez, nice. I stumped over that. <laughs> we know who you're talking. You just say Roger. It's like, you know, yeah. one word. Madonna, Roger. Just, and everyone you know. knows. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. Kind of works that way. Do you bump into him at the Olympic Village? Like you, you kind of try and star spot him at, at, at Rio? I didn't see him. In Tokyo, I sat across from Novak. Um, nice. But I just feel sorry for these guys at the Olympics because, again, they're just at another level of like fame and people just come up to them and ask them. They can't go anywhere. They can't sit down and eat. They're just constantly getting harassed. Yeah. Um, it'd be so, so annoying. <laughs> See why like, the dream team like go and stay on like a boat in the harbour, right? Because, yeah, you know, they're just they did. not yeah. wanting to get ruined, you know, like Kevin Durant's not bumping shoulders with, you know, Slovenian golfers. They can't walk anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be exhausting. So- just works that way too. Do you, I mean, frequent the Australian Open? Like, is that kind of, do you, do you have you seen Roger play? Yep. Um, I reckon Ella, my partner, and I have been for maybe the last three or four years. Um, nice. The beauty of, you know, winning Olympic <laughs> gold medal is that you <laughs> sometimes get some perks. Get, there's some perks <laughs> and the Australian Open is one of those perks. Which uh, I can imagine when Channel 7 had the rights to to the tent, that maybe also helped a little bit, right? They've got the Olympics and the Australian Open. So let's, because I've seen that right now with uh, Ariane, like I think with the Melbourne Cup and all that, they're kind of yeah. getting her on board and things like that. So that few perks. It's helpful when there's a few crossovers. Yeah, exactly. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh, because I'm in hotel quarantine in Brisbane right now, I'm going to say Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. When was the last time you actually were, were, were in Melbourne? Um, nine days ago. When I left. All right, okay. So it's it's not quite like you haven't been away for like, you know, months no, and months. No, no, no. But I've been in this room for nine right. days yes. straight. It feels yeah. like you've been away for like nine months kind of, you know, stuck there in that place. Uh, no, I know the answer to this one. As a kid, your favourite sports team, uh, the Dean. Was there any, you mentioned you don't really sort of follow other sports. Are there now, do you sort of gotten onto any other sports outside of F1 and AFL that you kind of follow? Uh, follow sailing a bit and I quite, I quite like cycling actually. Um, I enjoy cycling myself, but I love watching it and particularly the tour, which is so cliche because everyone watches the tour, but there's this Australian guy, um, called Lachlan Morton. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he, the gist I'm getting is that he doesn't like the professional racing, but he loves pushing himself to the limit. And so he rode the entire tour, including transfers unassisted um and beat the <laughs> peloton to paris wow far out that's awesome. so it ended up being like five and a half thousand k's and i can't remember like forty-five thousand meters of climbing or something wow and after Such day an insane three, event yeah, yeah and after day three his um his knee blew up because of the angle of his shoes. So he did it in Birkenstocks um, <laughs> and he was like buying his own food and camping on the side of the road. Like, it's unbelievable. Wow. Stuff like out. that, like extreme, like just pu- people pushing themselves to it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. With the sailing, would you do the Sydney to Hobart? That is my dream. I would love wow. to. Wow. Nice. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, have you been to Hobart before, Mac? I have a couple of times. 
Great. I am a big Tasmania fan, actually. I did the uh, Overland Track. Yep. Um, which was one of the best things I've ever done. And I also, Ella and I did like a road trip around Tasmania. And we did the last day of the three capes down south, southeast. Yep. 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 Um, and that's amazing. It's like the edge of the world when you walk yeah. out there. I don't know if you've done it, but it's not, unbelievable. Yeah. No. I've actually seriously never done the Overland, I'm ashamed to admit, as a, as a born and bred You've got to get out there. But got to get yeah, out no. there. Definitely. Did you do Mona, standard Hobart answer? Yeah, I've done Mona. Yeah, yep. of course. Did you um, like the poo machine? The poo machine's the best part of, of, of Mona, just watching I this machine remember. that does a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. I, like, it's it's the one thing I think that has stayed there since it opened, and it's, like, literally uh, one of two in the world, I think. And and you, you get talking to the staff. And you're like, oh, what did you feed it today? Oh, we fed it some salad and some yogurt. Oh, and I do remember this. Yes. Yeah. 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 So people who don't know what away. we're talking about, it's literally a, a like an artistic recreation of the human digestive system that takes up a whole room. They feed it at like 9 a.m. It does a shit at like 3 p.m. It's brilliant. And they feed it like real food. Yeah. And yeah. you ask, they, every day they feed it something different. Because, oh, like yeah. the, the poo's a bit browner today, so we gave it some more fibre or something like that. Like it's just um, – and, and also yeah. when you went there, and I'll, I'll – Phrase this politically correctly in terms of the word. Did they have the wall of vaginas there? <laughs> that is the one thing I remember most clearly. Yeah, I, okay. I didn't want to bring it up, though. I was going to say, this is a question you never thought you'd get asked in an interview, but there it is. I'll ask you about the wall of vagina. But I loved Freysianet. That was a nice part. Yeah. <laughs> The best thing, the, the most entertaining thing for anybody who ever goes to Mona is because there's there's no signs, right? You get the iPod and you go around and you, you don't know what anything is. So just stand back and watch people who don't know what they're looking at because they're very unassuming, right? You don't know what they are until your face is right in front of one. So then, like, you've got, like, you know, teenage boys who are like, ah, ha, 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 like, look at that. Then you've got, like, little old grannies going, oh, that's disgusting. And they just kind of, like, walk off. It's the best thing. That's Maybe that is the art. Rather yeah, than well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. David Walsh just gets off on just, you know, people's reactions to these kind of things. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, your favourite workout is... Swimming, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so. paddling at the moment, like ocean paddling, kayaking, anything Perfect. where I get that like arm fatigue. Surfing's included, probably paddling type sports. Yeah, brilliant. And all water, I'm seeing lots of water things. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't mind water. <laughs> yeah, I'd hope so that that kind of is a thing that you enjoy. Like I'd be all of a sudden, I hate getting wet. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's it's dumb. If you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Oh, to compete at or to, you don't know. Let's, they're not let's your go questions. with the, the, yeah, I don't, the Canadians aren't that specific. They're just, you know, let's just I think it has to be Sydney. It. Yeah. Go back to yeah. Sydney. Not, not even your home city of Melbourne. You wouldn't want to see Melbourne get them again? Um, wait, are we, I don't know if we're talking about the next, like, new or go back any, to how it was. Any. Let's, I, I think this is just a case I'd of like right to now. See- I'd like to see Sydney how it was. Okay, all right. Time travel, travel, be there. I get what you mean. And watch the men's four by one. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Being there in the stands. Were they having like 20,000 people in those stands sort of back there in Sydney? I think they actually thought it was going to fall down because when they did the uh, maths for it, they didn't account for everyone jumping up and down at the same time. Wow. Does that mean that Brisbane are going to be like, well, we can't let those New South Welshmen beat us, so let's go for 25,000, you know, like we've got to to increase the capacity. Yeah. 
Jeez, I, I think that would be great. Um, when you were little, you, you, I sort of, you gave an answer to this earlier, which is something that I love when people give an answer to this question. But when you were little, what was something you always thought? I can't remember what I said earlier. Well, you said you said that you always ate, like you're always hungry, and I love it when people like. When uh, I was little, I was always hungry. <laughs> That's a good I answer. Thought, probably that I was always tired. I remember just falling asleep a lot during school. <laughs> Um, like under desks, on desks. There'd be teachers who would just know and I'd just pass out and they'd let me go and then come and quickly explain what I've missed out on when I wake up again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you're training for the Olympics, Mac. It's fine. Uh, One plus one equals two. Now uh, go back to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Standard sort of things to catch you up on there. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? To fly. I think because... That's what I loved about swimming. It's the closest you can get to flying. Good answer. That I like that. Yeah. Which I, the one thing I always love about watching swimming is like the great camera angles and you've got those ones in the water where like it literally does look like you're flying kind of like yeah. the way you're kind of paddling. It feels like that. it too when you get going fast. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Mac, I, I mentioned your website uh, in terms of where people can buy the prints, but uh, plug that, plug social media. Where, where can people sort of stay up to date with uh, what you're going to be up to in the lead up to Paris? Wow, I've never had to plug this before. My Instagram's at Mac Horton, very easy. My website's machorton.com.au, also very easy. Pretty simple. Um, and, yeah, you'll, you'll catch me on there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, do you want to plug I anything else? So you know, like, you know while, while you're here, like uh, buy your Melbourne Demons Premiership merchandise, help support sure, the club. Do that. Or... Buy some scarves and hats. Yep. Uh, hummus, sponsor me. Hummus, uh, <laughs> Not giving them a plug in the plug section if it's not sponsored. <laughs> I really, I really think this needs to be a thing. Like, I mean, gone are the glory days of, of Olympic swimmers writing their names on products. Like, you know, I mean, Ariane selling Harvey Norman products. Good on you, Ariane. Like, I'll go buy myself a, you know, a, a kitchen Microwave. blender or something. Yeah, My, yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I want something unique. I want you selling hummus. Like, I want you like, hi, welcome to Cole's update of the week. I'm Olympic champion Mac Horton, and I love my hummus. Like, you like know? the awesome foursome with the uh, with the little oh. fruit cups. Exactly. I I only know that brand of fruit because of the awesome foursome, right? And that whole peaches, mango peaches thing that they used to do. Golden <laughs> Valley Gold. Like, come on. Jeez. Like, where, where are the, the, the Hummus sponsorship being flown at Mac Horton? I just, this needs to I be I appreciate the push you're putting Hey, in. we're very influential and off the podium, Mac. Like, come on. You know, we, we, we were it. able to do that. It, is, it has been a pleasure to be able to chat with you, Mac, to sort of learn more about your, your career and uh, share some of the stories along the way. But we, we definitely appreciate it. And we'll be cheering you on all the way through to Paris. And I'm just going to say it, push your way to through to Brisbane, mate. You can do it. Like, Aww. even if it's in kayak or sailing, you know, be there in some capacity. <laughs> we will see. We'll see. Thank you for having me. And thank you for taking up an hour and a half of my... 336 hours of quarantine. Such a fun chat there with Mac learning uh, many aspects. And at the time of recording this, Mac, as you no doubt heard there, was in hotel quarantine on the the Gold Coast, uh, in Brisbane, I should say, in Queensland. So uh, a lot of fun to kind of catch him there and and learn a lot about that. And uh, we obviously are going to be keeping an eye on how things go this year for both Birmingham and the World Championships and, of course, ultimately towards Paris in just a couple of years' time. So uh, definitely appreciate Mac's time on the show 
and uh, we look forward to also seeing him at the Sydney to Hobart or maybe doing the Tour de France one day. We'll add that to the list of things he can uh, potentially achieve. More great stuff coming your way here on Off the Podium. Obviously, uh, not quite the extent of episodes we had going for you in the lead-up and uh, around Beijing, but uh, still got lots of great things planned as well. So in order to not miss out on one of these episodes, remember to subscribe on all good podcast platforms, social media, search for Off the Podium. You'll never miss a post that we do. And we love hearing from you. If you've got anything to say, shoot us a message. We check them all and we would love to see what you think of the show. Big thanks to Mac. Big thanks to everybody for listening to the show. My name is Ben. Shout out to Jason Momoa and The Rock. Let's throw him in for good measure too. And remember, go left. Turning Japanese up and come, turning Japanese up.